Welcome to episode 103 of the Roger Snipe Show. As you probably know by now, the way to optimal health and fitness is through your gut. It's not what you eat, but it's what you digest that counts. Sometimes the body doesn't make enough digestive enzymes. This can slow the digestion process and lead to parasites and a whole host of issues. This is why I use masszymes. If I eat a steak or a huge plate of food, the last thing I want is for the food to ferment in my gut, increasing my likeliness of pathogens. Because of the aided digestion, masszymes can promote brain health and increased energy too. It breaks down fats, starches and sugars as well as proteins. For the ultimate digestive enzyme, reach for masszymes. Check out bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. That website link again is bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. Yo, what's going on? So today is going to be a very interesting episode um, covering a lot to do with functional medicine and just just good living, good living. And as you guys know, I really like to just have people more informed on things that they should know about, things which should be, let's say, readily available in everywhere you know, just the standard stuff. Um, but the person who I have on today goes by the name of Jake, Jake Carter or Coach Jake Carter, because I think there's a, a very famous person called Jake Carter, which is probably a reason why he calls himself Coach <laughs> Jake Carter to distinguish the difference and people don't get confused. Now, he is a functional medicine uh, practitioner or educator, as he calls himself, and he's done, just like myself, various, various holistic health measures and protocols on himself and has almost like self-educated himself in many ways, as well as his um, academic strength. Like he's a very curious individual. So, and you can you can hear by the passion in his voice um, just how curious he is and, and how much love he has for learning and educating others. I think it was a truly remarkable podcast, to be honest with you, um, because it's, it's the feeling I get from when he speaks. It's, it's amazing. So I think we initially started communicating once again through social media and, um, you know, I'd seen some of his posts and, you know, he gives a lot of great content on his posts. And I thought, you know what, I, th I think we need to make this happen. <laughs> we need to have a discussion and get some of your info on my podcast. So, um, yeah, very, very brief intro on that one. Um, yeah, amazing. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's bring on Jake Carter. <laughs>
Yes, Jake, how you doing, my friend? Really good, thank you. Just enjoyed a, a nice sunny Guam day. So I'm probably a little bit sunburned, but other than that, all good. Yeah, looking slightly, slightly pink. That's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't ground enough when I was in the sun. Oh, nice. In UK, yeah. it's kind of average at the moment. Um, in fact, um, so what time is it? It's 11 in the morning here. And I went for a cycle early this morning at five o'clock and I had gloves on and everything. I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's finally arrived. Autumn is here. So, um, yeah, had gloves on, I, I, you know, the gloves and me, we reunited. We hadn't seen each other for ages and yeah. um, I'm out there. I'm like, whoo, what's going on? <laughs> okay. Okay. Embrace it. And then um, a little later in the morning, the sun slowly trickled out just to say, look, I'm still about for now. All right. <laughs> we'll give you probably a few more weeks. <laughs> so that feels me, me and my friends, we, we wake up early and we, we go to the beach. It's just a literally a two minute walk. And we do some breath work, some tapping, humming, shaking, a bit of a run and go for a swim. But for the past few weeks, we've been able to see our breath when we sat there watching the sunrise come up and it's just in front of us. So just recently, as of like the past couple of days, ah, oh, it's been a bit of a luxury. It almost feels like it's not a morning routine anymore. It just feels too easy to do, if you get me. Yeah, yeah. Do you do like cold plunges and stuff? Do you go out in the in the beach and just like, you know, in shorts or naked and be like, you know what? Yeah, go. well, I, I, well, I'd like I'd like to do it naked, but it's probably people people like being busy here. But um, it's the sea's not that cold. The sea's not cold in West Western Australia. I mean, yeah, it's it's not that bad. It's probably like eight degrees or something like this. So. Yeah, it's, it's not too uh, resilience building, if you get me. But nonetheless, it's a bit of a shock to the system when it's like 27 degrees outside. But yeah, there's just so many benefits to the natural kind of ancestral and ways what we're supposed to function. And it's just beautiful just trying to wrap all that in the morning in a nice systemized manner. Because I just find, you know, I feel connected, productive and everything else. It's just harmonious for the rest of the day, if you get me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think more people need to do that. What would you say for people who are in a kind of real busy, um, I don't know, like in a kind of city environment who doesn't have, you know, access to the beautiful sea or lake and, uh, you know, it's just tall buildings. Is there a way of reconstructing this nature, would you say? Yeah, this is um, a really good question because when we look into it, I guess this is the resonance of the biohacking area, right? It's health meets convenience and the health, what we generally get from the biohacking aspect. I mean, there's some technologies out there which we would not be able to comprehend with our own conscious mind at all, but then some enable the ease of convenience with modern day living to how we're supposed to function and how we're designed and how we've evolved to function there too. So I guess there's many different aspects what you could look at and they're kind of like natural, um, kind of, um, I say primitive, but organic ways to function. We, we you know, we have uh, movement. We know that what the average, uh, during the average lifetime, we spend 18 years of our life sat down. So just having regular movement breaks. Yeah. And then you look into like the, the World Health Organization said physical inactivity could be as detrimental to health as smoking. And it makes so much sense. And we have things like light. And when you check your uh, light meter, if you download the app on your phone, you check the looks inside, it looks cool. But our ability to perceive the light is 
nowhere near as close as our biological interpretation of it. So then we look at red light therapy. Cool, that's much better. But then, you know, can we get outside in the sunlight when our shadow is smaller than our body's height? If so, that'd be awesome. So I guess in some ways, there's ways we can certainly um, do our best. There's other ways that we can find out information what we normally can't find out. And sometimes it's better to try and prioritize, if possible, those kind of habits, those rituals, those routines into the lab as much as possible. But yeah, high rise buildings, you know, there's many issues from that. The electromagnetic frequencies from room to room, the, the distance from the Earth's magnetic pole and everything else there. So, um, yeah, really good question. And I guess it really depends on what keyhole we want to look at. But I'd say it, it, in a longer roundabout answer, I guess it really depends on the context. But in some cases, we can supersede it. In some cases, we can do our best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't actually think about, um, you know, high rise buildings and even comparing that to someone who's living in a house. Um, because I, I have a client that um, I had recommended her to go outside and do some grounding. And she was like, right, okay, I'd need to go down to the bottom floor and go into the communal um, garden. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a sharing. Okay. It's not, it's not quite the same. And, um, you know, if everybody has got Wi-Fi in the building, how does it all work if there's like lots of different, is it all from one network, like all different Wi-Fi going into your room or, or your flat or whatever? That's got to be a bit nuts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's even said, um, even when you go to a seaside to get the, the the natural free electrons from from the sea and the sand you've got local areas which are still emitting lots of emf so you go in there to protect yourself but you still got lots of emf from local people so that's a bit of a bummer would um would you say the grounding can sort of uh mitigate some of that like you know got your your shield of armor would it do much or uh, still damaging? Yeah. No, to, to, I, I definitely think, you know, when we look at EMFs, and it's a, it's a great topic because it's really getting its emergence in public awareness, you know, when we look at that. And there's, there's many different issues with it, but grounding for starters is a fantastic way to mitigate a lot of the negative impacts. It's similar to how you ground, you have the grounding cable for um, kind of electrical kind of work and things like this. So it's phenomenal. I think one thing as well, which is really important to point out is magnesium deficiency with EMS. Okay. Because that makes it so much worse because the voltage gated calcium channels. Well, one of the reasons why EMS can be so damaging is it leads to this influx of calcium inside the cell. And that leads on to a, a pathophysiological effect of increasing things like peroxy nitrate and NF-kappa-beta and things. So wow. if we're magnesium deficient, we're actually going to be possibly more prone to the detriments of this because magnesium is a natural calcium channel blocker. And that's one reason why it can be so good for blood pressure and things like this. So then we take into the concept of how many people in society are deficient of magnesium from the soil erosion, from glyphosate, the high stress, drinking coffees all day and many other factors. I think um, hand in hand, if we're going to look at two really good things away from distancing yourself from the source, grounding and making sure you're not magnesium deficient would be two really good steps to take. Mm. Wow. When you say glyphosate, you mean glyphosate? Is that the same thing? 
yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. 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 Um, there's there's many things about uh, glyphosate. Actually, I, I uh, read that it's been um, it was uh, I don't know. It was patented as one thing, then it was repatented as a, as an antibiotic. Is that correct? Mm. I'm, I'm not too sure. It, please it, it, read it. Yeah, yeah. I, please, I'm sure I heard that from a couple or read it and heard it from another source. I'm like, this is nuts. Wow. So imagine yeah. antibiotics sprayed on most of your food, you know, unless... Mm. And who... Not everybody is get, getting um, organic. Like most people are not getting organ, organic. Mm. So... Um, Imagine that on a regular basis, it gets to the point where antibiotics just don't even work anymore. And you know what's really interesting? It's, it's quite, um, it's a lot of synchronicity right here because I was speaking with the owner of Nordic Labs last night, Anne Catherine, and she was saying one thing what we really have to be aware of, which is going to do so much damage to society, is antibiotic resistance genes. So when we look at that, it's kind of tying into what you're saying here with the mass use of the glyphosate and the damage to, you know, the microbiome and everything else that what we have within our body, on our body. And it's kind of interesting that it's happened within literally less than 12 hours, those two conversations. So it's definitely a field of research where I'm going to explore further after this. Please do. Please do. Do a post, tag me on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will. So, Jake, um, I didn't even give uh, an introduction. I think it might be best from yourself. I came across your post and um, thought your posts are really great. Like, it's so informative. You go into so much depth about many different things. Um, even, even, I don't know, like loads of things, not just all biohacking. I see you talking about financial stuff as well. Lots of things to do with business and finance. So I'm like... I like this all-round aspect. I think, you know, that's the sort of thing I like to even cover in my podcasts. At first, it was just health and fitness. And then I thought, you know what? I want to invite on some entrepreneurs as well. So I've had cool. some, you know, millionaires and billionaires just giving some, you know, giving some hints and tips on how we can maybe fast track our finances, you know, and some, get some financial literature. So I love what you do. Um, what, what exactly is you know what's what's wh okay what is it you do exactly like what is your background and what is your what is your goal what you are you trying to achieve with your audience and that sort of thing yeah brilliant so um first of all thank you for the kind words i, I do really appreciate that and I, I guess i'll just do the quick 101 on my journey it'll only take a couple of minutes but i, I as as with everything it starts from an early age and this was actually because um, at school and I, I always remember this quote whenever someone asks me about this and it's opportunity often comes misguided as misfortune so at school I really struggled because I had dyslexia a stutter I was shy and had a stammer and I really struggled like I was doing terrible and then I found the gym at the age of 15 so I started working in the gym uh, maybe not so legally and they knew that and they were paying me three pounds 64 an hour but I knew at the time this was a great opportunity because it was something what I really had a passion for. And I actually was making more money selling out-of-date chocolate on the lunch breaks at school, which I was making 20 quid a day at school versus working in the gym. So it was a great opportunity because I was able to embody and understand more of this newfound thing. And it 
the training was a way of my expression of self and how I could find my confidence, my clarity, and really build my perceptual identity. We could say that for now. And because of that, I, I got invited to skip a few years out of college and just do a short course to become a personal trainer, which became a personal trainer at the age of 16. And from that, because being self-employed at such a young age, I was overtraining, really trying to represent the product of what I was trying to deliver to my clients and under-recovering because, you know, as you're 16 and, you know, you're in your teens, you're probably partying a little bit too much. So that soon led to an injury, uh, bulge disc in L3-4, and that really ripped away my training. And that's how I really fostered my identity, who I was, what I did, and my values and everything else. And it spiraled me into a bit of depression, uh, a bit of orthorexia, because I was really trying to hold on to at least a physique of which I could call being shredded, but back then I was oblivious to the malnutritious state what I was living in. But one modality what I could control, despite being heavily injured, was nutrition. So I really buried my ears into podcast books. I had trouble reading. I've learned in a way, almost like a photographic memory as such now, which is a whole nother conversation. And um, yeah, I, I listened to as many podcasts as possible. And that led on to the opportunity to become um, teaching nationally within a company uh, at the age of 18, internationally by the age of 22, 23, globally by the age of 25. And now I've invested over $350,000 into my education to do what I'm doing. And what I've fostered now after teaching physically in nine different countries and having clients in 33 different countries is a disruptive educational model to globally redefine health by marrying conventional advances with traditional philosophies. So it really appreciates everything to do with the human body within and without. So when we look at that, it's really taking this 360 degree approach where it's almost the concept of a specialist generalist to truly build the next generation of industry leading health coaches. Because when we look at our healthcare system, we could argue it's more disease management and we don't need to go there, but we can do if you want. Um, But yeah, that's really me in a nutshell. And um, the Carter Institute, the, the facet of what makes it unique is not only the, um, the uncensored, unfiltered, and unbiased means of teaching, which is heavily decorated with published medical journals in which I teach doctors, osteopaths, naturopaths, um, gym owners, personal trainers, you name it. But we look at the health of their clients, the health of their business, and the health of them. And we really look not only at the skill, but the system to help them implement that skill, but also the story. Because when we look at success, there's only two reasons why people are unsuccessful. They either have the wrong system or the wrong story. So we need to really work on those aspects to enable it to be embodied, put in a systemized manner, and then executed. And really, that's the Carter Institute. And that's what I do in a nutshell. And it's to globally redefine health for the generations to come. That's my mission. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So are you trying to help people to build a business as well whilst doing that? Yeah. Whole idea, yeah. All right as well, yeah. 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 And it's really incredible, really good, you know, to help different, you know, to help these practitioners that really want to be a success and um, not not struggle. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out here that might have expert advice but they're just not very good at business. So, you know, offering that for them, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And and this is what we see so much in the industry is that heart centric individuals, which are really leading a purpose-driven business 
often do so at the expense of themselves. They're, they're stuck exchanging time for money. There may be a glass roof over their heads because they're, they're trapped in that exchange of time for money or, or chained by the geographical location of where they're working or many other factors. So they get into this industry because they're connected to it, probably from some hardship on their own hero's journey and they want to coach their old self to their new self or that they want to make a difference and an impact in the world. But from that, it almost... Um, it, there's the business aspect and the business mind, which can be so far away from the natural way of how they like to operate and things like this. And it's really marrying both again. It's like showing them, look, we can create intimacy at scale in a leveraged fashion and probably go deeper and really connect and move, touch and inspire more people by doing things in a systemized way. Not when I say systemized, I don't mean generic. I mean, having structure, having um, kind of, contingencies, roadmaps, things to follow. And not just that, but also the confidence in themselves and executing their business and many other aspects there. You know, the, when we look at business, there's, um, there's seven different categories of business. We have, uh, first of all, the, the marketing. We know marketing is so key because when people get into business, marketing is like your niche, your audience, your hero's journey. Then we have the systems, then we have the sales, then we have the customer service, the delegation, the financials, and then self-care and all aspects of that business or subtypes within the business are crucial. Similar to how, if you wanna work with the human body, we have to take into account gut health, hormonal health, sleep hygiene and everything else there it's the same with the business yeah 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 man like even just talking on that last bit there about the different types of um structures of health i think in in one of your posts you was talking about the the symbiosis of health and it really breaks down the different areas like you know people people focus on diet and and training like that's for the most part you know, that's if you're lucky, you know, some people might, uh, but most people are sick anyway, but <laughs> let's say, okay, you might work on your diet and, um, and, um, and training. There's so many other aspects, especially as I started to get into the, the realm of, uh, biohacking, I started to look into other stuff and realize there's, there's spiritual health as well. And some people, when they think of spiritual, they, automatically think of religion they're like oh i don't want to get involved in religion i'm like no i'm, I'm not I'm not saying that at all and that, this is where they really need to read a bit more into it and then there's uh, other areas like um i was speaking to someone recently which you've also got on the uh, you know your syllabus of um like ancestral understanding as well you know um just maybe understanding a bit more about your ancestors or just just the whole ancestral living as a whole um you know psychology environmental if you can say environmental you know talking about epigenetics there's so much about that it's unreal and it's so great that you opened on that so for people who are a bit just like alien to the concept of like all right wh wh where do i start with my health like it's quite a lot to take in um mm -hmm. what wh how would you how would you give give this to a person in in digestible portions so that they would understand where to start? Yeah, really good, really good information there. And, and there's a few case studies which come to mind where I just want to quickly share if that's okay. Sure. Um, when you mentioned about like the spiritual aspect, 
this is this is something which is so key and we have to appreciate that objective data gives us the detail but the subjective data gives us the story and we need to again utilize both so there's there's a case study here and i, I guess it's not so much spiritual in a way but it is more emotional based from tcm traditional chinese medicine and one of my partner's friends he was over and i noticed on his nails he had clubbing on his nails right and his nails just curved over and they're kind of like bigger at the end of his fingers and from that i instantly knew because there's about 64 different things we can look at the human body to assess into nutrition deficiencies uh, dysfunctions and toxicities i knew that there's a high chance that his lungs probably weren't up to scratch so then I asked him, okay, do you wake up between the hours and three and 5 a.m.? And it ends up that he was consistently waking up at 4.30 a.m. And then I asked him about some emotions, which uh, I, I won't disclose here, but yeah. um, if, if you know the TCM emotions, then you, you'd, you'd be able to find out what they are. And he had an 80% level of accuracy for those emotions. And then it just so happened that the night before, he actually went to the doctors to have an x-ray on his chest because of the respiratory issues where he had when he was going to sleep. So you see these sort of things, and it's, it's phenomenal when you start marrying the TCM with the subjective biofeedback markers with other factors. And then another case study, which I just quickly want to share as well, which really encompasses a bit that spiritual aspect to a degree, was someone who was 35. She was um, diagnosed as early menopause. So when I was assessing her, which ties into your, your question in a second, mm -hmm. I, I found out that her biological dad left at the age of two, come back into her life at the age of 16, left again at the age of 22. And her stepfather was cheating on her mother as well throughout her life. So she had a bit of an aversion, a bit of resentment towards male figures. And she was actually running two different businesses. She was very left brain, objective, facts, figures, deadlines, everything else. I was like, hmm, maybe she's got an excess of masculine energy, which is suppressing the feminine energy. So then we discussed it, and I simply asked her to write a letter of forgiveness, because when we look at resentment, resentment's a poison, but forgiveness is a cure. So I asked her to go to an area of significance and write a letter of forgiveness to these individuals. Now, she could either send them and maintain boundaries, or she could burn it in that area of significance. And then after that, I asked her to engage in exercises which stimulate the right hemisphere of the brain which is more the feminine side so i asked her to to do things like dancing and draw ends up she did painting each night with her son it just so happened that two weeks after that she actually regained a cycle which there was no intervention there of supplements or nutrition it was literally a letter of forgiveness and then some feminine energy what you're kind of entwining there and yeah, phenomenal effects there. When you look at the metaphysical, the emotional, the physical, the physiological body, there's so many different things and it's all this interdependency and it's um, really interesting. So I, I wanna quickly give you the answer for your question. Where does someone start? Well, as, as I'm sure you've read the book, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the habits in there is seek to understand before being understood. So to really start, it really requires a level of, awareness, a level of reflection, a level of understanding the symptoms and the timeline of events to see what has occurred. Because we may be presented with a symptom, but quite often that symptom is the trap. We know that pain, for instance, pain is the victim, not the perpetrator. So we really want to go as far away from that symptom as possible to, to really make some good progress there. And, and it doesn't really give people much material to work with, but what I would recommend is, yeah, just, just really um, documenting the symptoms, seeing the environment, what they come around in, when you first experience those on your timeline of events, 
if I was to give it in a generic approach, which could be usable for anyone, if you understand. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. Wow. Thanks for that. That was cool. Let me just take a sip of my um, essential amino acids. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that is definitely some useful stuff. What would you say um, is prominent myths within the fitness industry? Okay, this is a good one. <laughs> Was the multiple question before I interrupted? Sorry. Um, well, uh, you know, there's, the, I guess there's many, there's, there's, there's some which are on cholesterol. There's many on like, uh, probiotics, um, many, but we can, we, uh, yeah, there's as many as you want to, uh, or you can think of elaborate on because <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've come really? across many, um, I'm sure you have over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good question. Really good question. So when, first of all, the cholesterol one, like you, you nailed it there. We know that the NHS recommends a cholesterol of five mole per litre or less. But when you convert that to milligrams per deciliter, I believe it's around 193 milligrams per deciliter. Now, there's a recent study uh, from Korea. So fair enough, the demographic is going to be slightly different in the lifestyle, the foods we'll eat and things like this. But it was of around 12.8 million people. It's quite a lot of people. And they found that below this figure of actually 200 milligrams per deciliter, there was an increased hazard ratio for all-cause mortality, which is quite alarming because the NHS is recommending people to have an increased hazard ratio for all-cause mortality based off that data. And then we can look further into the data like LDL and things like this. And we know that, you know, if your LDL is too low versus too high, it actually has a higher risk ratio of all-cause mortality there. And we know that LDL is essential for things like your hormones in some cases with pregnenolone or, or it has even antiviral properties in some studies. And then we can see low cholesterol actually being associated to increase violence. So yeah, many different things there. And another interesting thing is the, the red meat myth, okay? So when we look into the, the, the studies here, the, they performed meta-analyses, well, um, sorry, epidemiological studies, not meta-analyses, epidemiological studies. And, and they actually encompassed within the bracket of red meat, things like um, cold cut meats, sausages, and things like this. So cold cut meats, pastrami, salami, and things like sausages are very different for your organic biodynamic grass fed steak. Yeah. So really when you separated those and then you looked at it, what was actually really interesting in some of the studies is that vegetable protein actually increased the risk for colon cancer higher than that of red meat, vegetable protein, which not many people speak about that. And in some studies, it really didn't create uh, any notable um, increased hazard risk for the um, colon cancer at all. And in some cases, fish was worse because the uh, TMAOs. So that's an interesting one. Um, I guess. Sorry, could this... you? Was that TMAOs? Yes. Yeah. What? Sorry. What is that? So it's a big fancy word, basically, um, from when you when you cook food. So if you burn foods, you can increase increase the, um, the the TMO in the food, which can be carcinogenic. Okay. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like similar to um, poly polyaromatic hydrocarbons and things like this. Um, so yeah, we got red meat myth, we got the cholesterol myth. Um, we, we've got, we, we do have to take everything with a pinch of salt because one man's food can be another man's poison, right? 
But then we also have the whole um, process of the plant-based diets as well. And granted, they can actually hold a lot of benefit in some cases, but they have to be done properly. I was actually speaking to someone who used to work for Pfizer for 19, 19 years in the chemotherapy development section. And she actually said that the chemotherapy drugs which work best for the um, chance of survival in children were the ones which actually increased the alkalinity the highest. So I thought, wow, okay, that's a little bit of truth there behind that whole alkalinity, acidity kind of process. And that's coming from someone which was quite high up for 19 years in Pfizer. I was like, oh, wow, okay, that probably needs a little bit more research. But when we look into this, we, we can see things like a lot of birth problems as well, like lower IQ for, for the um, babies from mothers who were following a plant-based diet, a lot of issues with um, performance, thyroid in some cases as well, particularly TSH, and um, yeah, an array of nutrient deficiencies. So plant-based doesn't necessarily equal healthier. I guess another one here, um, oh, what would be, I think they're, they're, they're the biggest ones. Yeah. They're the biggest ones, I'd say. You know, the red meats, the plants, uh, the cholesterol, because you look at the macronutrients, um, there's, there's, trying to think nah i think that's it i think they're the biggest ones what i'd want to go over unless there's any which you want me to cover what about colon cancer have you heard anything about that um well when, when we're looking to to cancers there's a lot of anecdotal evidence here uh, around around this but before i even get into that we, we do know that uh, between 90 to 95 percent of cancer statistically in published medical journals is environmentally induced okay mm. so that's something to be very much aware of right right so yeah and and I, I hear a lot of fantastic things here from first-hand feedback from people which have done extended fasting not that i'm recommending people to go do this because uh, you, you know this is purely for educational purposes but I have heard phenomenal things from that. And it's quite interesting when, when, when you look into this sort of thing, because when you look into um, the religious scriptures, we have in the Quran, we have um, Ramadan in the Bible, there's Lent, and these are fasting practices, which really echo that importance of a fast. And we could look into the different benefits there. So just whilst you brought that up, I, I, I thought it was important to kind of share that possibility. But um, in terms of colon cancer, yeah, the the factors which uh, I've I've seen which have been quite problematic, which doesn't get discussed here, are actually the emotions related to the colon, and the amount of cases when I've seen this, it's huge. So this is where uh, in TCM traditional Chinese medicine, there's certain emotions, and those emotions can link to certain organs. And when we look into the colon, we, these are generally linked to being overcritical, controlling, narrow-minded, perfectionism, uh, dogmatic, compulsive, pedantic, cynical, misery, uptight, and emotional incontinence. So generally when people have an excess of those emotions or a suppression of some trauma which leads to those emotions, I see that quite often as being not necessarily a causative factor because we can't really put the, the pin on the problem and say that is the reason, yeah. but quite often I see it as a compounding factor and I see the people with the best recovery who make the fastest progress on terms of the recovery are the ones which deal with those emotions on that level. Right. Right. Ooh, very interesting. Uh, what's your thoughts on 
people who are carnivores. I know of one carnivore who is actually a doctor. I can't remember his full name. I actually interviewed him. And he mentioned, I think we spoke and, um, and he said, yeah, I think, it, first of all, I think he commented on something on Facebook. And I, I think I put, um, uh, what's your favorites? Is it uh, fruits or veg? And some said fruit, some said veg, some said neither. And he was one of those who said neither. I don't have any. And I was like, what? You're a doctor. Like, what's that all about? So I shot him a DM and he said, like, if you want, we can talk about it. So we set up a podcast, not just because of that, but I was just kind of intrigued, you know? And he said that he is a carnivore. He eats only, only meat. And I said, so what do you do about vitamin C? And he said, um, I goes, well, what do you need vitamin C for? And he said, uh, um, oh, no. he goes, what do you need vitamin C for? And I said, I don't know. It's, a, it's an antioxidant. He goes, yeah, exactly. He goes, if you, you only need an antioxidant if you are oxidizing. I think that's what he said. And I was like, okay. And he goes, I'm not, so I don't need it. <laughs> and he goes, you only get, um, that, that only happens when you have plants. He goes, plants have poison, which, I can't remember his words exactly. I don't want to, you know, um, you know, skew his words, but it was somewhere along the lines of that's where a lot of the danger is. That's where you get the whole oxidizing and stuff, you know, because of um, oxalates and, and uh, lectins and maybe some others uh, I found quite interesting. What's your yeah. viewpoint? What's your viewpoint on that? On maybe not just that, but like carnivore as a whole. You know, some people use it as a way of, um, uh, like you know, to reverse autoimmunity as well, and yeah, just the whole thing. Yeah, really, really good topic to bring up. And one reason why you probably need less vitamin C following a, a carnivore-based diet is because the abundance of carnitine. So when you look at that, vitamin C is used in the body to endogenously stimulate carnitine. So when you actually have a high consumption of carnitine in the diet, you use less vitamin C in order to do so. So therefore you need less dietary consumption of vitamin C. Now, I would argue that you do need vitamin C for some things. We know we need it to um, assist with the reduction of histamine. We need it for collagen synthesis, which isn't just making our skin look pretty. We need it for structural connective tissues and stuff like this. So we do need vitamin C. And, and I would also put forward the... the um, I guess the um, the oppo opposing kind of viewpoint of that we always produce oxidative stress if that's what he was um, saying wasn't the case because when we look at reactive oxygen species which are produced from the mitochondria in the terms of energy production that's a byproduct of that and it's actually beneficial so even when we train we can increase things like interleukin six and increase inflammation and things like that and just because it may be oxidative doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It's a body's way to have that kind of um, feedback loop so we can actually super compensate and adapt. And with the production of reactive oxygen species from the mitochondria, that actually stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis and the replication of more mitochondrial subunits. Similar with the interleukin-6 from training, that stimulates the supercompensatory adaptation pathway so we can grow and develop more tissue. So um, I think what he may have been saying was that um, you, you, you have a high antigenic load when consuming plant-based food. And I would agree to with that to a degree. And um, I, I would also say 
that um, first of all, you know, th there are some caveats here for the carnivore diet. We would look into, okay, if someone has, let's say, H. pylori and they have hypochloridia, so they've got low stomach acid levels. And we know that now, I think it's around 50% of the population has H. pylori. Some is actually kind of beneficial to a degree because it shifts the immune system more to a Th1 mediated response and reduces symptoms of asthma, which may be more Th2 mediated because it basically burrows into the parietal cell. It's a small gram negative parasite. So it can be beneficial relative to the context of the individual. But that being said, if someone has severe H. pylori infection and their stomach acid is low, then they're going to have difficulties digesting the foods there. Now, there is a benefit to the carnivore diet. When we do look into things like um, kidney health, that's, this is an interesting subject because most people say you got to avoid protein when you, you got CKD, chronic kidney disease. But really, when you look into the data, you want to avoid excess phosphorus. And actually, people which avoided excess phosphorus and still had a high protein diet had a better outcome with their health and their kidney progression and improvements versus low phosphorus and low protein. So that's something to bear in mind there. And when we look into the kind of whole notion of the carnivore diet, I, I do believe everything is relative and has context because let's say if someone has heavy metals, which well, we pretty much all have heavy metals, how are we going to chelate those heavy metals? And some of the heavy metals aren't absorbed from food. We, I mean, like tattoos, there's heavy metals. In our water, unfortunately, there's heavy metals. In the air, we breathe, there's heavy metals in some cases. So what are we going to do to bind onto that? Because when we look into things like zeolite and um, other kind of binders, they're not from animals, you know, you've got like diatomaceous earth, zeolite, activated charcoal, things like this. Mm. They're from kind of plants and the earth and stuff like this. And then when you look into like coriander or um, what, what do the Americans call coriander? Cilantro. Uh, that's fantastic for, um, you know, mercury and things like this. Horsetail tea, great for aluminium. So these are all things where we have to look at the individual and think, well, okay, we're living in this day and age where we have these toxins and we actually need to boost our body to bring up the ability to get them out. So in that case, would carnivore serve purpose? Maybe not. Would it be good as a baseline state of how we're probably designed to function? Quite possibly. I, I appreciate we have vertical jaws. We don't grind from side to side. We've got canines. We, we have um, a monogastric system. Uh, we're designed with an upright torso. We've got um, joints which is, are designed for fighting and things like this. So I, I appreciate, yes, we should probably eat meat based on our primitive way what we, we've evolved but I also have to recognize that the way that we have evolved isn't aligned with the environment what we've created and therefore we have to look at everyone as an individual and a really good quote what I tell people here is when I'm communicating to health coaches it's more important to understand the client than the goal the client has and when I communicate to people in the medical industry it's more important to understand the patient than the disease the patient has and therefore we must really apply the relative context which is going to be specific to them to get them onto the next step so in some cases it may not be the best but in some it certainly well could be so what was that quote you said i was i was as you continue talking i was scrolling back like trying to well what did he say it, yeah yeah say that again so that's that's a quote what i've kind of um, restructured off william osler william osler yeah. is what some people could argue is the the father of conventional medicine Right. And he said it in a really complicated way, but it's enabled me to kind of restructure it and give him credit and enable it to be related to both the health industry or the medical industry. And that is, it's more important 
to understand the client than the goal the client has. So for instance, if you're a personal trainer listening to this and you have someone who comes in and they want to drop fat, it's very different to a single mother with three kids wanting to drop a couple of pounds versus someone wanting to get on stage and the two weeks out and the, the single and this is their life. Very different. And then on the other side of the fence, we have the medical kind of position of that quote. And this is where it's more important to understand the patient than the disease the patient has. And what I could say by this is, let's just say right. someone has um, epilepsy, you know, we know that a ketogenic diet could be really good. Okay. But if they've had the gallbladder removed, we may have to also want to support them with additional intervention to support the digestion of fats, maybe with tudka, oxbile, bitter vegetables and things like this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Def definitely got to tailor it to them. Would you suggest, um, um maybe like a intermittent um carnivore in some cases or it just keep it uh um oh, what do you call it cyclical huh or, or cyclical yeah, yeah, or seasonal? cyclical like a cyclical or just you know as as um as as we are normally i just can't think what a normal diet is called now um, yeah i guess there there's no such thing as normal in this day and age right no i know yeah. yeah even diabetes is normal these days so oh yeah yeah i know i know so so when we look at this there's, there's many different types of diets like you have intermittent fasting and this could be very beneficial for uh, stimulating something called the migrating motor complex which is a a a mode really in the intestines, which enables it to kind of self-regulate and clean itself, let's just say in layman's terms. And it could reduce gastric demand and enable that process there. But it could be detrimental if someone has a previous history of eating disorders, um, poor self uh, body image, or maybe if they are pregnant or highly stressed, because when we don't eat, we stimulate norepinephrine, that's gonna stress it out even further. But it could be great for improving insulin sensitivity. And then as we move on, we have carnivore diet, which is kind of the next step up. And then we have the ketogenic diet and then we could probably look into the cyclical ketogenic diet and then maybe carb backloading isochloric and higher carb generally speaking that that's the framework and then i guess you could probably say plant-based could be into interweaved with any of these bar the carnivore and then we know when we have more carbohydrates well that could be good for when someone has more stress because we know that the carbohydrates would lower cortisol increase insulin support with serotonin production and that could help mitigate some of those stress factors there and then I guess it all depends on what sort of training they want. You know, if, if someone is going to be doing more hypertrophy training, then, you know, carb backload into higher carb could be a better approach. And then if someone's probably wanting more strength, more ketogenic through to isochloric could be better, not so much higher carb and things like this. So I, I guess it's, it's a, a real tough line to kind of say, because it also depends on other factors as well. We know that, um, there is that ancestral heritage kind of aspect coming in there too, right? And we know that people with ancestral roots closer towards the equator, they're supposed to tolerate carbohydrates better and further away. They're supposed to be um, able to tolerate fats better. And obviously that's relative on the epigenetics, the lifestyle, and the environment and things like this. But there's, there's many different pieces into the puzzle now because it isn't as simple as that. It's, it's also to do with our history and the issues what we have or what we've been challenged with in the past and, and things there. So uh, I, I, I guess I really can't give a solid approach to, to yeah. the answer, but the best diet is the diet where you can stick to, enjoy and get health from. Mm, and get health from. Most importantly, get health from, because <laughs> many people can stick to shit food. Um, yeah. Like, um, I think one thing that is not addressed 
too often, unless they are specialists, are things to do with mold. I mean, you have mold in so many different places. You've got mold. I mean, I learned about molding coffee from Dave Asprey and I was like, there's molding coffee? I didn't even know that. Yeah. And that's when I started to get organic coffee. Otherwise I was like, mm, I love coffee. So I think this is, this, is a, 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 this, this is a massive subject on its own. What could you tell us about mold? Do you know much about mold? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the seminars and it's something I've personally experienced several times. So when we look at mold, there's, there's seven big facts what I like to put out there so people can you know connect and resonate with. Well, first of all, fact number one is there's seven million deaths per year due to indoor and outdoor pollution. And 90% of time is actually spent indoors with the pollution being up to five times more when compared to outdoors, which is pretty bad. And that's not isolated to mold and mycotoxins. We do have things like fragrances and the fumes from new carpets and things like this. And then when we look into this around 20, uh, it's actually 24%, I was going to say 25, it's 24% of the population has a variant in their genes that actually prevents them from effectively dealing with biotoxins. And then to make that a little bit worse, most doctors don't have training to identify mycotoxicity. And we'll get into what mycotoxicity is in a second. And it's basically these toxins released from mold. Mold is a living thing and it needs to have a defense mechanism. We can punch, fight, bite, run away. Mold has this. And then when we look at mold, well, mold really requires materials to be wet for um, 24 to 48 hours for it to grow. So not actually that long. And it doesn't even need things to be wet. So it could just have a humidity of 67% or above. And that can allow the growth of mold. And then in addition to that, one mold spore can produce 1 trillion spores in 48 hours. So there's, there's, there's a lot of things there. So when we look at mold, right, or mycotoxins, these are lipophilic substances. And lipophilic means that it has an affinity for binding into fat-soluble structures. So we know that the membranes of our cells have a bilipid membrane, it's 95% fat. We know that the myelin sheath is around 80% fat, which is the, the protective coating around nerves, and the brain's around 60% fat, dry weight. So when we look into mold, we would expect a lot of symptoms affecting those things. And that's what we see. We see things like brain fog, headaches, apathy, chronic fatigue syndrome. We know that 93% of people with multiple sclerosis when tested had at least one mycotoxin present in their urine. We could look into things like increased thirst, increased urination, increased sensitivity to static shocks because it changes the osmotality within the body with the electrolytes and all the kind of antidiuretic hormones and things. And then on top of that, we could see things with digestion, loose stools, blurred vision, and so on and so forth. So it can be really um, across the board here in terms of the body. It can disrupt the hormonal system, the kidneys. It can be carcinogenic, the digestive system, brain health. And in fact, there's something called a neuroquant, which is a specific software which scans the brain through this MRI technology. And when you look at brains which are mold-ridden, there tends to be an erosion which we could often associate similar to that with heavy drug use. And that's the damage there to the brain from the mold. So when, when we look at mold, there's a number of different things that we have to look at. First of all is our environment. You know, Do we have mold in our house? Do we have it in the shower and the curtain? Do we have it in the dishwasher or the washing machine or the windowsills? If so, how bad is it? If you don't know if it's there, there are different tests where you could do like a hurts me or an ER. MSI, I think it's called, a different one, ERMSI test. And um, you can swab basically your house 
and send it off to see what mold spores you have or mycotoxins you have. So that's cool. And a non-invasive test, what you could do is called a VCS test, a visual contrast sensitivity screening test. You cover one eye, click the directions 45 times to see which way they're going, slightly to the left, up, slightly to the right. Then you do the other eye 45 times and it'll give you feedback to say whether there's a positive or negative association with biotoxins. If it comes back positive, then you may want to explore a little bit further and do something like a, a mycotox profile analysis from Great Plains Laboratory, for instance. When you get the data, there's a number of things what you need to do. One is, you know, reduce the mold-ridden foods. Like you mentioned coffee, when that coffee grown at a high altitude has um, a, a lower chance of having mold on it. So mountain-grown coffee has less mold, generally speaking. We know that things like aged meats, aged cheese, probably aren't going to be the best things. But then we also want to possibly look into the histamine because we know that mold can increase histamine in the body and that can lead on to things like leaky gut and other factors down, sinus issues and stuff like this. So then we may want to reduce histamine inducing foods. So that unfortunately means removing a lot of tasty foods here, like chocolate, like coffee, like smoked meat, smoked salmon, uh, egg white, spinach, avocado, tomatoes, and at least moderating those in the initial onset. It's always key to remember, we don't ever want to fully eliminate things because it can breed this orthorexic fixed fear system around food. But initially in the onset, just temporarily removing foods, seeing how we respond, allow a state of better inflammatory regulation to occur so we can enter a healing process and then look at reintroducing them. In addition to that, I'd recommend utilizing some binders and you could use specific binders based on the mycotoxins, but some good binders like Biotoxin Binder by Cellcore, or they do Carboxy. Uh, Code Age actually do a really good one if you're based in Australia. I do know microformula is, is stocked in New Zealand. And then you also want to stimulate bile. So bile can help conjugate and bind onto stuff to remove it from the body. So bitter vegetables are fantastic here. So rocket, radish, chicory, lemon, these sort of things are cool. Choleretic or cholagog-based foods is the fancy term. And then lastly, you probably want to look at your environment to maintain it. So having some oxygenating plants like English ivy, fern, um, draconia, jasmine, these are all cool, spider plants, um, English ivy, I think I said English ivy, and, and using a, fil um, a filter because you want to get an air filter. A really good one is actually called Air Oasis. It uses a HEPA filter and UV filter as well. So in a quick nutshell, that's a 101 on mold, what you can do and how you can assess it further. Mm, I'm just noting that down. Air Oasis. Mm, yeah, really, really good one. Awesome, awesome. So let's say, for instance, um, you, okay, it's in food, just remove certain foods. What if you see a, a spot in your house? How, what, is, what is the safest way to remove it? Let's say you don't have the air, air oasis. Is there a spray which you can use, or is there is there a natural way? Like I don't know, lemon or vinegar or yeah. something. I don't know. Like yeah, yeah, legit, legit. yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly it. So uh, when you look into this, um, thyme essential oil, tea tree essential oil, clove essential oil, cinnamon essential oil, these are pretty good. You could use uh, vinegar and bicarb. So that works fantastic. You know, there are products out there. I think there's a product called Home Biotic. There's some other ones there. You, you generally want to avoid things like bleach because they tend to bleach the, um, the filaments of it, but they can also attack the mold and it, it creates um, a greater release of mycotoxins from the mold there too. So they're the, they're, the approach would be more of the natural products to use because it's safer to do so anyway. If there is a lot of mold, 
then it would be better getting a professional. We do that. Do know that mold can really impact porous objects, so uh, water soluble objects here, like bedboards, pillows, and things like this there too. So, the key areas what you may want to kind of think about um, when it comes to like the home etiquette really. Uh, there's a there's a few things. One is um, if you check your toilet bowl and you know the, the water. If there's a, a line on the around the surface of the water in the toilet bowl, that could show that there's um, excessive mold spores. Another one is uh, assessing the claims history if you're just moving into a place to see if there's been any water damage or anything like that, because we do know that there's going to be a um, a big problem probably if there's been water damage. Having a no shoe policy could be another factor. Um, leaving uh, the, the, um, the shower well ventilated with the window open, extract fan on before and for at least 20 minutes after, uh, wiping down the walls, straightening the curtains, uh, leave the dishwasher door open um, so you can allow the steam to get out of the dishwasher, things like this. That's just a simple bit of house etiquette of what you could also do to make sure the mold stays gone once it's gone. Yeah, that's cool. I was thinking to myself, I have a sauna at home. It's not a steam room, but I'm just wondering. I mean, I do leave the door open. Um, mm. I don't see any mold in there. Um, no. Should be cool. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. I, I think it would be in this case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Something completely different. What's your thoughts on lockdown? Do you feel as though it has been useful to reduce the spread of COVID-19 or do you think it might have caused some other issues? Like what's, what's your overall thoughts on that? Yeah, this this <laughs> Pandora's box, right? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, when, when we look at this, um, well, we, we do know from the data that COVID has what a 99% roughly survival rate. That's that's something to point out there. When we look into Australia, before the lockdowns, there was uh, the, the leading cause of death between the ages of 25 and 44 was actually suicide. And Australia more likely to die from suicide than skin cancer. That was before the lockdowns. Okay. And when we look at the lockdowns, we could see the amount of damage what gets done here. I, I, I have a very good network, so I communicate with people all over the world. And just in Melbourne, in fact, there was a firefighter which was going to a suicide once every two, three days during the lockdown. So this stuff doesn't get reported. It's not communicated. Now, I think the biggest damage from the lockdown is actually on the economic environment. When we look into the patterns of what's happening with the inflation to GDP and things like this, and we look at how they try to, what we could say, try to deal with the credit crunch by printing more money, which wasn't really backed by anything, it's made a bubble and it was fragile. It's a bubble made of glass. And when we look into this, the amount of money which has been printed and the interest rates and house prices being, you know, pretty high across the board anyway, it's scary. You know, that's that's what I'm worried about. Fortunately, you know, I'm aware of this and there's things what I do to make myself anti-fragile and resilient should any kind of black swan events happen. But when we look into Lebanon, one of my students who was in Lebanon, she was communicating and telling me in um, in comparative figures, let's say, if you had a hundred grand in the bank account in Lebanon, she was saying it's now worth what you could probably say around one grand. Okay. A hundred grand to one grand. And this is in a year and a half. And she's actually um, gone out of the country, gone to Greece and she made an e-commerce business. So she could actually get her money out of that country because it's can't, you can't get it out. I've just heard news about um, some issues in China with some big, 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 big 
company which um, apparently owed billions to a bank has um, not been able to pay and that's created some issues there and then I know about other countries where there's no, no monies in the bank so when we look at this you know we look at the lockdowns we look at the government subsidies the closure of small businesses the big monopolizing corporates basically creating more money in the exponential growth of wealth and the money which is not backed by anything that is the issue and it's gonna it's gonna hit hard that is the biggest issue because we can see that you know some 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 experts say that inflation happens around um, ten to twenty percent per year, and we're unaware of that. But again, like I said, we are living in this bubble, in this bubble, and yeah, there's great opportunity to invest in certain things. You can make a lot of money investing in the right things right now. A lot of a lot of money, but unfortunately, not many people are aware of those things. And it's going to hit them hard. And people would probably have to remortgage their houses because they can't meet ends and they may have to sell the houses and things like this. So that's my concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I was just looking at the, the health aspect of it. But financial aspect, it's it's pretty wild. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to hit the health even more because of the depression, the inability to, to, to get healthful foods and the suicide rates going up even more and, yeah, that's 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 the problem. What I see for sure is lockdown still in process in Australia at the moment. Oh, well, Western Australia is well. We fortunately, we we like I said, we got a good good network, and we we had a heads up in 2019 December. So we we prepared to move from Melbourne to Western Australia, and we managed to move a couple of days after the borders closed, and. We, we got out of Melbourne and Western Australia, the longest lockdown here has been seven days, I believe. There's there's no mask policy and there's there's no there's no um, stupid kind of things. And, you know, like my, my day is awesome. My life's fantastic. I've got nothing to complain about. However, in, in places like Melbourne, there's been there's been big, big, big riots, big, big riots just yesterday. And it was bad, really bad. People getting hurt, people getting um um yeah really really hurt not from the rioters let's just let's just say that and um you know it's um it's getting bad there yeah so the the lockdowns particularly in victoria are severe you know you're not allowed out more than a 5k radius i believe you're allowed in certain shops and when you communicate to other countries and stuff like this uh, other places that if you wanted to go into shops apart from a supermarket you had to present a, um, a vaccine passport in order to enter. So if that isn't something what you're aligned with, or if that's not something what you want to do, that creates a huge limitation. It kind of breaches the Nuremberg Code in terms of the coercion for medical intervention there. So yeah, it's an interesting time. That is another area which is um, alarming, but I personally think the economic environment is something we need to be focusing on much more and no one's really speaking about it. Yeah, big time, big time. Ooh, wow, oh, that's deep um people i think generally speaking people believe that if they are not sick then they are in good health which is wild um you've got people who smoke and i'll use one for an example my mum, she smokes and i said have you been for a medical checkup she's like yeah yeah well i've been and um i haven't got cancer so i'm good and, and this is like, you know, this is typical of so many people, you know, if, if they don't have a disease, they think they are healthy. What is your views on that kind of mindset? And is there like, a, 
is how would you educate people on that to to let them know that there's more to health than avoiding sickness or disease <laughs> yeah and it's, it's it's really good that you brought that up because there's some information what i'd like to share on that as well thank you so when we look into this most people think health is the absence of disease which is not because we could say deficiency is the absence of disease but that doesn't mean you're healthy we could say dysfunction is the absence of disease but that doesn't mean you're healthy you could be functional but that doesn't mean you're healthy so when we look into our current state of health we know one in two have chronic disease seven out of ten deaths are from chronic disease there's over half a million infants in the United States of America prescribed psychiatric drugs between the ages of zero and five. We know that one in four have allergies, one in four Americans have diabetes. Every five minutes, someone in Australia is diagnosed with diabetes. We know that one in two experience major depression. We know that uh, suicide, like I mentioned, is the leading cause of death between the ages of 25 and 44. One in 10 have ADHD, one in 10 have asthma, one in three males have infertile sperm, and the healthcare costs are gonna cost us by 2030 for chronic disease, $47 trillion. So when we look at that, our healthcare system is a little bit shabby and we don't know what health is. We don't really know what it means to feel human because when we when we look at this, most people have a suboptimal level of functioning and they just get by. If you go up to someone in the street and say, hey, which is your bad knee, chances are they're probably going to point to one of them, right? And it's just become a level of acceptance to have a bad knee, not a, an issue what they should rectify. So really, it's, it's quite difficult to get someone to think about what they haven't experienced before because they're not used to it. It's like trying to tell you to think about a different color, what you've never seen before. It's impossible to comprehend until you possibly feel it. So the, the only way that we can truly make this impact is, is really why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and that is to globally redefine health for the generations to come. And I'm particularly doing it by focusing on the health and fitness industry because the health and fitness industry attracts people on a want-based model but you can give them what they need because we know health is a physiological prerequisite for any long lasting result. Health is essential for physique, performance and functionality. So if you can attract people on what they want, but give them what they need, you not only enable the result to be bigger and better and long lived, but you actually solve bigger problems by going deeper than just surface level. I think that is the only catalyst which can truly echo this message into society. Because when we look at other elements within the health industry, such as doctors and naturopaths, they do great jobs in relative cases, but they don't attract people on a want-based doctor. You don't go, yay, I'm going to go to my osteopath today. You kind of do that at the last case. So instead, if we can change that approach to change it more preventative rather than in a rehabilitative approach, I think that's where we can enable people to, to enable the opportunities and really make them aware of how they could live their life and what they truly deserve. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I think that the whole health aspect is not, it's not sexy enough. And it's like, yeah. as you say, um, yeah, how, you know, getting to integrate it all is, is great. It's like most people, they'll look in the mirror and they'll be like, okay, I'm fat. I need to get rid of this fat. I need to eat less food. And it's like their immediate response as opposed to, you know, maybe um, you might not just be eating too much, but you might have some sort of gut dysbiosis because of certain garbage food that you're eating. Um, so maybe you've got inflammation and lots of things going on there. So it could be, a, I don't know, elimination process. Um, but yeah, it's, it's visual. 
you know it's like you know some when people ask me about the foods they should eat they're mainly focused on calories and that is it like how much should i be eating well what's what's the what's the macros that that you eat i'm like i have no idea i think the last time i counted macros was in 2015 when i was competing and that was it yeah. but yeah don't need to just eat good food uh, you know it's it's difficult to get through to people um so yeah, yeah and and that's the thing like it would be good if everything was just just sexy you know mm. when you see a good body it's immediately it grasps your attention but it's not sexy to know about environmental health or epigenetics you know or i don't know i don't know osteo stuff <laughs> don't know like it just sounds all technical and like mm, i don't know I, i'm not interested in that but if i have a problem then i'll i'll go check it out you know and i think um with with what you're doing it's great it makes it more more easily digestible and that's something which i'm working towards as well um because although when i first got into fitness i was i was primarily just focusing on myself and seeing how i could increase my performance and then i was like okay let's try and look good in the process and then when when doing that it it kind of it helped me to look further into um everything that i was doing making sure that i was getting enough sleep and and then when i when i when i discovered the biohacking community i realized that there's a whole man is man there's a there's a whole spectrum of stuff that you could look into and it made me think wow why isn't this red, readily available well it is but it's not it's it's not something that people typically look into like if you go mm -hmm. into a supermarket you, you know most of the things which have all the special offers are shit food you're not mm. going to have a special offer on um organic meat or organic vegetables or fruits it's normally on processed garbage someone selling a dvd on uh, some crappy diet I mean, do, well, first of all who sells dvds what's that all about like who, who watches dvds these days well, yeah, that's the guess. old school thing isn't it you know you, yeah. you watch an advert on tv and then you used to buy that dvd and it used to come through the mail yeah yeah um christmas time they still sell that or january they still sell that shit you know yeah um but yeah, it, it's, you know, and that's, that's one thing I, I definitely want to make a bit more readily available for people, you know, to, to understand that we can make all of this sexy, you know, make it cool to, to be in good health and, and, uh, take some self inventory and, 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 uh, you know, love and respect yourself in, in, in all aspects, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, thank you very much for everything that you do. I wanted to ask quickly, I think you mentioned when you was at school, um, yeah, it was shit. Same for me. It was crap. School, school was crap on all levels. I don't think, I think I learned how to truant um, effectively. <laughs> I was good at truanting. Um, and the things that I did learn in school was useless. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I, it, it's weird because like when I do, I do spelling with my daughter and I do maths with my daughter, she's seven years old. And I'm thinking you probably won't need either one of those. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. it's like, why am I wasting my time? So yeah. w- if, if you could, um, if you, if you were educating in a school, what would you think would be great life skills for children to learn to, you know, advance in their life? Yeah, really, really good. Um, really good question. Again, I love, I love all these questions we've been putting out here to, tonight. Um, well, first of all, communication skills. You know, communication skills is going to be key. And just with that body language, mindfulness, self-love and self-belief, gratitude, self-sufficiency, learning how to actually cook for yourself, how to grow your own food, should you actually have to, business, financial management, how to set up your own business so you don't have to be an employee, but you can actually have your own businesses and things like this. I think they would all be key. Actual nutrition, obviously. Um, Yeah, all those different aspects. And I think one aspect which would be so key is when we look into this, we, we... we find that we're told what we can do at school and that changes our belief system because we don't do what we want. We do what we expect. It's the same reason why I've asked all the listeners here today, who, who wants to win the lottery this weekend? I guess most of them say yes. And then ask them, okay, well, who's bought a lottery ticket? I guess most of them will say no. And it's because they didn't expect to win the lottery ticket. They want to win it, but they didn't expect to. So really, if we can change that biology of belief and we change the framework of their thinking, that would open up so much more opportunity because school only teaches us what has been done and doesn't tell us what we can do. I think that's the shift there is changing the 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 possibility of opportunity and the potential of what we have within us by sparking that passion and creativity rather than having a systemized, dogmatic, repeat after me kind of motion. Yeah, love that, love that. You know, this whole, you know, sit down while the teacher writes on the board. Like, I think that's still going now. I swear I've seen a meme where it shows like back in the 1800s, like how the classroom setting was. And then over the years, uh, it had been exactly the same up until this point. I don't know if you've seen this meme, but it's it's scary. And then it's like, um, I, I don't know what the the the... The message behind it was it maybe something to do with like, and you know, how do you expect uh, kids to advance or people to advance in their knowledge if the system is exactly the same? You know, we exactly. spoke about proving, right? Yeah, uh, and then we could even look into the Carnegie report. You know, the Carnegie report actually limited what could be taught from a health-based perspective in schools. I think from the early nineteen hundreds, and um, there's certain kind of things there which we don't have to get into. Um, but let's just say there's limitations of what can be taught for certain reasons, probably a little bit deeper than what people may think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's something I definitely want to look into a bit more. Uh, mm. talk about but maybe we have to talk about that off offline <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah 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 um, there's one thing one thing i want to end with which is quite interesting implants <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so, you know it's one of those things people are so visual and i think for a lot of women um it can make them feel more of a woman to have 
implants, you know, because I don't know it or, or having breasts or having visibly looking large breasts or whatever. Um, so implants have been a thing which is readily available for anyone. And I think you could, I don't even know what the age uh, range from is. I, I even known of a girl who was 18 years old. The moment she turned 18, she could get implants. I'm like what? Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. shit at 18. Like, and a child mm. has gone along and it's got some implants. Mm. Now we're starting to discover that many people are going to get reversal surgery. Um, yes because of some issues, would you be able to talk into that as to like, what are the dangers of having implants? Yeah, well, when we look into this, it's a foreign substance, which is permanently in your body. And that really creates a challenge for the immune system. And we have silicon, we have saline, right? And we know from certain studies, there's a study with near enough 100,000 subjects. And there was, I believe it was something like a um, six times greater risk of um, arthritis, a four time, 4.5 times greater risk of um, stillbirth and a four times increased risk of melanoma. And this is because of that foreign object within the body and the body can attack it now i've i've had hundreds and and that's no exaggeration exaggeration there's 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 hundreds of messages and i've i've seen cases of people with autoimmune thyroiditis uh, autoimmune conditions with the thyroid where the autoimmune antibodies are so high when they have their breast implants removed explantation the thyroid antibodies drop and they actually reverse that autoimmune condition we hear of things where there's um with saline, there has been cases where there has been issues with mold. And they tend to be older cases now. I think that was an issue with the sterilization uh, of the kind of materials and the objects on the implantation there. But nonetheless, we do see things like the stillbirths, the arthritis, the melanoma, the thyroid issues. And there's even something called uh, breast implant illness, which is a huge thing, absolutely huge. So most guys are completely oblivious to it. And most girls are as well. And when you look on Facebook, there's huge groups there where there's women just sharing their stories and their struggles and their challenges. I've even had it before where a, a, a young lady has messaged me and she had her implants and within days she was blind. Within days, she actually, after two weeks, decided to get them out and her eyesight restored. And this is from the oh. implants. Yeah. So you look into this and it's not just limited to implants. We can look into things like... Um, was it uh, Botox? Botox can increase uh, MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. There was, a, 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 again, a relatively young lady who was speaking to me and she has a lot of fillers and Botox and she gets this MCAS, this histamine response where she can't open her eyes in the morning, some mornings and she has to take medication multiple times a day, every single day because of that response, that rejection of that biotoxin, what Botox is. So we look at this and I mean, like, look, I mean, I, I can't speak. I had tattoos before I actually knew more about this stuff. And even tattoos can um, create some issues, you know, that the colored tattoos can leak more, whereas the, the black and white, uh, the black tattoos uh, don't leak as much. The white does as well because it's classed as a color. Um, and it can be um, creating a lot of stagnant kind of issues with the, the lymphatic system and the metals and depends on where you had that done. But then also on the body, on an energetic perspective on the body, because we think about our body with biochemistry and physiology, but 
we create scars and scars can hold trauma, emotional trauma, scars can hold. And that can also do it with the tattoos and the lymph and things like that. So we can go much further than just looking at the, the, the optics of physiology in terms of immunology and metals and things like this. We could look at the energetic body on a physical plane as well there too. So it's really interesting. But that being said, it isn't isolated to this area like we just think. When we go back to like, I think it was Otis the Iceman, like, well, 3,500 BC, I think even he had like um, tattoos or something like this. And so we, we see it in uh, Egypt, we see it in um, some South American tribes, but there's already been, there's always been that um, kind of, um, kind of disfiguration, I guess, of the human body, whether it's a mark of stamina in terms of some old tattoos, scars. We know that a lot of the Aboriginal culture, they have to do uh, initiations where the scars and mutilation, things like this in some, some cases. And, and that's across the board in many different uh, indigenous cultures there as well. So I think it's, it's interesting how we've kind of echoed that practice on to this very day and age, but the practice probably has been um, mixed with modern day uh, materials, which probably makes it a little bit worse, if you get me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where can I learn a bit more about that there, you know, the indigenous stuff? That sounds really interesting. Oh, there's a really good book called Manthropology. And I, I read it because I did a seminar, I've got 26, well, more than 26 seminars, and each seminar is a minimum of a day long. But I have a seminar which is on empowered masculine. And I wanted to learn more about mankind, man, in contrast to the indigenous cultures. And I read that book, and like I think it starts, I'm paraphrasing here. It, the first line says, um, if you're reading this book or the man who you have bought it for is the worst man in history. <laughs> and, and it's literally just saying how um, mankind compared to uh, our, our cultural roots has become uh, arguably what we could say weak from statistical data. And it's just breaking everything down from the bravado, from the brawn, from um, everything, you know? And it's so interesting to understand like how we're not actually running faster. We're not actually stronger. And all these other elements there. It's a brilliant book. It's called Manthropology. Manthropology. Yeah. Have you checked out a book called Sapiens? Oh, I know about it. I've not read it. I have real issues reading because of the dyslexia. But it's, it's this is why, like, when I when I read stuff, I use the highlighter on 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 my laptop because I can highlight journals and yeah. just like create some color contrast so I can see better. Um, but I think you'd be, I'd be able to do that on Kindle, maybe. I'm not sure. That's that's available on Audible as well. Oh. I've got that one on Audible and it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, easy listen. Detailed stuff. It's really cool. Like, oh my God, this is what, this is amazing. Takes yeah. you way back. It's so beautiful. So beautifully. It just, it's just, I don't know, orchestrated so well, the way, mm. the way it's written and narrated. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Going back to the, uh, the, the implants. Mm -hmm. Can it affect the uh, a baby if uh, woman, the woman is breastfeeding? Mm. Yeah, really good question here. And th there is some data saying yes. Uh, there is a lot of um, anecdotal evidence as well, uh, but some data is saying yes. 
You know, we, we know that, for instance, if someone has histamine issues and they're drinking cacao, the increased histamine in the, in the body can, can create uh, irritability for the child. So uh, then imagine, you know, uh, breast implants and, and the, the possible issues what they could do there. So I, I would argue, yes, statistically, I, I would say that there isn't enough weighted data to, to effectively argue that case, mm -hmm. but I would still argue it anyway. Is that something that you can possibly check out on PubMed? Well, they must still just won't be there. This is what I, I, I relentlessly um, bury myself in PubMed. Right, yeah. And um, there's, there's not much on there last time I checked. Granted, it was a, probably uh, initially when I did the major research in this field, it was probably a, about a year ago. Um, and I struggled to find any sound data there um but yeah I, I'm, de I'm definitely going to explore it further awesome awesome oh jake has been phenomenal it's been phenomenal my friend like you've covered mm -hmm. so much stuff and we had a, a a discussion prior to this podcast before and it could have been a podcast in itself because we covered so much i was like damn you know a lot of stuff <laughs> a lot of stuff it was it was a beautiful conversation. Um, uh, do you have a book at all? Have you got a book out? I actually wrote one, and um, because I've been relentlessly building all these seminars and all this, and I decided, you know, I should probably write a book. So I did write. I have it's only written, you know, probably like a month ago, and um, it's actually um, again. Just quick disclaimer, it's not for to, to diagnose Curious Land, it's only for educational purposes, but it's of 80 different diseases and dysfunctions with the root causes and possible solutions. So it's um, interesting with some of the information which is in it. And um, yeah, I, I need to tidy that up to a degree. And um, I, I, I want to start writing more. Um, my priority previously uh, has been um, building all these seminars and studying, learning, and really nurturing the students within the Carter Institute. But the, the books and stuff, that's definitely something which uh, I'm going to be doing uh, very soon. Oh, that's awesome. I definitely will be checking it out once it is available. So you've got to I'll let send you a copy. Thank you. God bless you, man. Um, and do, when is your next seminar? I know things are a bit, I don't know, lockdown-ish in places, but the UK has opened up. So I'm sure we'd welcome you with open arms. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, this is a really, really good question because I mean, in 2019, I, I, I did, I did a lot of flights. I, I, I did a lot of living, not just teaching, but I think I did 54 flights just in that year alone. And that was just like hopping from country to country, teaching, traveling and living life. Perfect time to do it before the whole world gets closed down. Yeah. So when we look at this, um, you know, last year, I probably only did like six seminars or so. And I've been doing a lot online. Mm -hmm. And I, I really do. I, I love teaching because I just get this energy and it's just like, oh, you know, it's, it's like it's different. It's just a different vibe. So I much prefer teaching in person than, you know, to technology and stuff. And that's why I've got a bit of an aversion for technology. I'm really slow at replying sometimes to things like this. And so apologies if anyone's messaged me. I, 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 it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's just just my my way of living um so I, I don't know of any coming up yet i've recently been on some summits and some expos with some world leading doctors and uh big influential people uh, that's probably what i'm doing more at the minute just until the whole world can um you know open up a little bit more yeah 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 so people can find you on uh on instagram and um yeah. learn a bit more about what you're doing as well and if obviously you're going to be visiting some places, they'll be able to find you there. 
yeah, definitely. And the Instagram's uh, Coach Jake Carter. The website is carterinstitute.com. Excellent, excellent. I'll put those details in the show notes for everyone to check out. Thank you. Jake, it's been amazing. I'm going to have to have really you again. I just want to say as well, you know, you're doing some really, really incredible work, introducing people into health and the biohacking stuff. It's really phenomenal seeing what you're doing and very admirable. So, you know, I just wanted to, to pay my due diligence and say, well done for the, all the stuff that you're doing. Hats off to you. Thank you very much, Jake. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. With that note, you have a blessed evening. Is it evening for you right now? Yeah. 7.30. Yeah. 7.30. Yeah. Wind down time. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna have a pre-workout and go gym. Get my workout. Oh, wow. What time is it there? Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect time to train. Have a okay. great session. Thank you. Thank you. You. Uh, you take care. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.